So let's get into some word today. You ready for it? Okay, if you have your Bible, then turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're new with us and don't know what a Corinthians is, that's okay, but there are two of them. Two books written to the, the, the Christians, the church in Corinth many years ago that is inspired by the Lord and thus relevant for us today. And I have been seeking the Lord as to what I should minister. I had some things, I had a lot in there. I think I don't have time to do all these series that are inside of me. Uh, but I was given some direction to go this route just a few days, well on Tuesday of this week. And so I'm going to do this. Buckle up. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's begin in verse 1. It reads, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you uh, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. What's the subject here so far? Grace. God's grace on the churches in Macedonia. That, and here's how that great that grace manifest, that in great trial of affliction, so they're under heavy persecution, some of their churches in their days and their cities in their days, they deal with, they dealt with persecution on levels we have not dealt with it yet. How they, how, how sometimes even governments would come in and just take their stuff, they come in with soldiers and they impoverish them overnight. It was a, it was, it was great uh, affliction. And so, uh, in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Now, how many know that doesn't make sense? Great affliction and yet joy at the same time. Joy. Can you have joy even though you're afflicted? It is highly recommended. <laughs> because if you want to get out of the affliction, it's got to begin inwardly. And this is what the grace of God will enable us to do is to joy our way out of it. Hallelujah. I don't know if I've ever used that as a verb before. Uh, their great joy and their deep poverty, so that doesn't help. <laughs> That's part of their affliction. Abounded in the riches of their liberality. Liberality meaning generosity. So the grace of God was on them that even though they're under heavy persecution, heavy attack, they were able to have great joy and give like nobody's business. And it just doesn't add up without God. And so when the grace of God is on someone, one of the things we can see is they're able to rise above great afflictions and they're able to do what's impossible. And this is something I seek is to do what's impossible. But joy is going beyond... Uh, let me say it this way. Joy is key to going beyond your ability, tapping into the ability of God. Another way I can say this is sad people don't typically accomplish much. If you've ever been sad, you probably know that. When someone is, is sad, they, they typically lack motivation, right? If you're really down, it's like pull the blinds, you know, close the blinds, lay on the couch, turn the lights off, you know, that's the, the atmosphere of sadness and you're not motivated to do things that will get you out of that condition. Uh, when people are sad, they lack faith. 
They're not believing in good things to come. They, they often lack a willingness to help others. But that's what's so interesting about these churches in this heavy affliction is they're doing all the opposite of what's happening to them. They're being attacked, they're being impoverished, and yet they're joyful. They're still smiling. How you doing today? Broke? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> you know, uh, what do you got planned today? Well, I've got just a little bit here and I'm going to see who needs it. I've got, I don't have much, but I'm going to see what I can, what I can give. Uh, we're going to be taking up an offering for uh, Brother Paul to take to Jerusalem. And, and, and so we're, I'm seeing what I can pull together to put in that offering. Now, a lot of people today would say, what are you crazy? You don't need to be giving an offering. They need to be giving an offering to you. But that wasn't their mentality. And they were happy about this. They weren't sad. They weren't saying, oh, here we go. They're taking up another offering. They're like, yes, we get to help other people. We get to make a difference. It may not be huge, but we get to be a part of it. Yeah. And, and I think this is somewhat of a reflection of what true Christianity should be. In fact, if you look at the next verse, verse three, he reads, uh, he writes, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Beyond their ability. That's where I want to live. Do you? Yeah. See, this is a, a, a statement that would characterize or well describe true Christianity. Beyond our ability. If we're ever living in what we can do and what we can do alone, even if it's 100% what we can do, even if we gave our all, how many know that's still in the realm of human ability? And it's like, what's the difference in you and someone who doesn't know God? You and someone who rejects Jesus. What's the difference if all your life is, is all you can do? Everybody with me today? Say, this is a little dis disconcerting right here. I say, we should have an expectation to see God work in and through us in a way that supersedes what we are able to do ourselves. If he gives a vision to go beyond your ability and it comes to pass, you are now a living, walking testimony of the provision and power of God. And this, I mean, we're either in this because it's real or we're not. And, 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 and this is what we, what we seek to go beyond our ability. The, the New Living Translation reads of that third verse, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did, and they did it of their own free will. So again, it makes no sense because they didn't have credit cards, right? <laughs> That's not what I'm encouraging anybody to do around here either, by the way. They gave what they could not afford. How is that possible? Only by the grace of God. There has to be a, quote, supernatural component to your giving if you're able to do this. If you're able to do what you're not able to do. And this is something that they, they tapped into and they did it of their free will. So watch, when they were receiving and taking up this offering in their, in their churches, no one was twisting their arms. Free will, meaning not compulsed, uh, uh, compulsed, compulsion, compulsion. Let me work on my Englishing. Uh, 
They, they were not forced. They were not pressured. They were not manipulated. There was not, you know, give in the offering, give till it hurts. And, uh, you know, you'll be a millionaire by Friday. You know, or give in this special time right here, right now. And all your wayward children will be home by the weekend. It wasn't any kind of, any kind of outlandish promises with a date attached and all this kind of stuff. No, they wanted to do this. How many know that's something God values, no matter what we do for him, that it gets to a place where we do it because we want to. Yeah, I realize there may be some people here today that you came because someone pressured you or asked you, you maybe you felt obligated. And I'm glad you're here anyway, because I hope this works on you, seriously. But long-term, we don't want to do this just out of discipline. What happens is we become Pharisees. We want to do it out of desire. Lord, I want to sing to you. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to help other people. I want to give. I want to do these things. And that desire is what they had. They were freely willing. And so, again, how can one do more than they can do? Only by the grace of God. The things we need in life, or maybe things you want. Do you want money? I know in church you're not supposed to say that you want money, but you work for it all week. So whether you say it or not, I'm going to say you probably do. Uh, you know, people want success. I'm here to just redirect a little bit because those aren't bad, bad things to desire. But what we should want is the grace of God on us. You know, in other words, if, if, if someone offered you, you know, a, a chunk of change, say, would you like this or would you like ability? If we could give ability, and God's one way to define God's grace is ability. Not the only way, but one way. If I could give you substance or money or something, or I could give you ability, I think we should all go for the gift of grace. Get, get the ability, because that's something that is worth way more than any financial number, right? And, and so they were able to do this. And in and, and verse 4, he goes on to say, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering ministering to the saints. So, so what, watch what, what he's saying there. These churches in Macedonia weren't preparing this offering and thinking, I hope they don't accept it. I hope they look at our offering and then look at us and go, oh no, you just keep this. Have you ever done that? I'm going to offer you this. I sure hope you don't take it. I hope you say, no, thanks. I'm good. But you wanted to be, you know, like credited for offering. No, that wasn't what they were doing at all. They were sincere and they implored them, come on, take this. Because you might have looked at them in their, in their situation, in their plight, and say, no, 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 no. I think you guys need this more than they do. You keep this. But they said, no, 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 take it. We need you to take it. And there's some truth here about how people get out of great affliction, by the way. They were sincere. They were honest. They said, no, you have got to take our offering. I, we implore you, please, please take this. We want to be a part of this blessing. Now, uh, this raises a question that I think is worthy of discussion, and that is, should poor people give? Because they were, in this situation, they were poor. Should poor people give to others, or should poor people just be the recipient of the gifts of others? 
We know it's scriptural for, for people to give to the poor. That's biblical. That's right. You should do that as the Spirit leads you. But should poor people give? These poor people seem to think that they should give. And when I read the scriptures, I can see a number of examples of poor people giving. And never were they criticized. Never were they said, never did the Lord or someone wise tell them, no, if you give this, you're going to be in the poor house forever. You, you need to keep that. I mean, wouldn't some of us be tempted that way? If someone who was really down and out came and they offered you something. Let, you know, maybe you're uh, at a restaurant and, or, you know, a fast food place and you have plenty of money and someone came up behind you that looked like they were at the opposite end of the scale and they said, let me pay for your meal today. Would you accept it? Would you allow them to? Or would you say, absolutely not, I'm buying yours. <laughs> say, well, which is the right thing to do? <laughs> I suspect that many of us would do that second. And it do that doesn't mean that, I mean, that's a, a, a generous gesture to look out for people who are, are hurting. But here's the principle, in the scripture, People who didn't have and they gave anyway are applauded. In fact, uh, I'll give you two examples today. One of them is, is, uh, is the woman who gave when Jesus was watching the offering. Okay? Jesus was looking at the offering one day and watching people put their money in. So I guess that's okay to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we've set up cameras. No. <laughs> But in this case, maybe some of you know this, this story. It's Mark 12, 42. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. Money translations are difficult, but this is very little money. We're talking pennies or less, all right? Uh, and, and verse 43, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given into the treasury. For they, out of their abundance, um, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. All right? So how many know her giving here was a far cry from someone who took care of all their life and then looked at what they had left over and said, yeah, I can spare a few bucks. Yeah, I can, I can afford to, to give in, 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 this, in, in this great offering. No, she did the opposite. She gave, as the Lord said, her whole livelihood. Watch, she wasn't corrected. This was recorded in Scripture. The Lord wanted us to know how he thinks. This woman is honored. We're thinking, wow, that woman, she's She's, she's awesome. She, she is an, an, an example to us. But there's no record of Jesus getting in there and saying, oh, lady, 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 no, no, no. Don't you do that. You just keep that. No, he let her do it and pointed her out. And it doesn't appear that he said anything to her. In other words, he stayed out of it. I mean, Jesus did give to poor people, but there's no indication he gave to this woman. 
He just pointed her out to the disciples and said, see what she did? She gave more. What does that communicate? Multiple things. One, our giving is seen by God in heaven. Our giving is received by him. He's the one who rewards. Jesus didn't feel obligated to be the provider of everyone in his human human form, right? While he's walking on the earth. God provides. In fact, Jesus taught in other places when someone gives up their lives and so forth for the kingdom of God, they'll receive multiplied return. One place he said a hundredfold return in this life and eternal life in the age to come. So putting those together, I'm saying this lady didn't stay poor. If I believe the words of Jesus. Okay. But he didn't say anything to this woman. But also I can see that Jesus was giving kingdom reflection on how God views our giving. And that is percentage based. How many know none of us can wow God with, uh, with our money anyway? Even if you're a billionaire. All right. You can't, heaven isn't going to go, wow. <laughs> Did you see that? That dude is worth a b- 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 billion dollars. <laughs> Do you see that offering? Wow. No, but what does wow the Lord is faith. Jesus repeatedly through his ministry would identify people and say, whoa, whoa, look at that. Great faith. I'm impressed. And apparently he was impressed with this woman's offering too because it was a hundred percenter. Yeah. And so the Lord still looks at us that way. That's why we should never think of ourselves, especially if we don't have as much as we'd like or much as someone else has, or we're not able to give like someone else. We shouldn't see it as insignificant. I know her doing the math, this didn't help the, the temple ministry too much. You know, because it was so small, but it mattered to God. And our offerings still matter. It's not about amount, it's about percentage. So let's understand that, understand that principle. An- another example of a poor person giving was in the days of Israel and the days of Elijah the prophet, and there was a great famine in the land, it was no, there was no rain, and the Lord sends Elijah to this poor widow woman for, for a meal to be sustained. And again, yeah, a lot of people were suffering, but the Lord could have sent him to someone with money. He could have sent him to someone with, with, with you know, sub, substance, someone to help him. He sent him to her. Why, why would he do that? Come on, for her sake. Here, here, here's the account. It's just a few verses. First uh, Kings 17, 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the city, uh, to the gate of the city, indeed a woman, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So, so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. I mean, no, she's dirt poor. You got a little bit left and you're going to make one more meal for you and your kid and die. I mean, no, you're already skinny. Right? You haven't been eating. 
This is your last, this is a real rough situation. And God sends the prophet to her. And God sends the prophet to her, not with some money or some food. He sends the prophet to her to get something from her. That's not logical. That doesn't make any sense if you're looking at human mathematics. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. By the way, that's a good word for all of us all the time. Especially when it comes to finances. One of the things that shoots us in the foot is fear. Fear of not having enough. In other words, we don't do what we ought to do and we restrain the blessing of God from our lives because we think if I do this, I won't have enough. If I give, I'll be without. And fear-based decisions are not a good idea. So his first word to hear is, woman, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. I mean, oh, she might be thinking right at this moment, um, excuse me, Mr. Preacher, did I not make myself clear? I said, I have enough for me and my son, and then we die. You say, make you one first. There is no first or second here. There is only. And Elijah did hear her. He knew what she said, and he still said, make me one first. How dare he? That preacher stealing the last meal out of the widow's mouth. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. If you have a thus saith the Lord, you're ready to believe. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Here's my point again on this, on this, in this example of a poor person giving, is God did this for this woman. He sent someone to her to give her the opportunity to give when it didn't make sense. To give when she did not have enough. Because she could have withheld, made her last meal, and died. But by God saying through the prophet, no, make me one first. The Lord was able to use that to multiply her supply and she ate and didn't die and ate for many days and then prosperity returned to the land and she was able to be spared. And so a lot of times people don't see this as God doing them a favor. And I may have said this to you last week, but over the last few years, I had been thinking about our lack of projects that we haven't have done. In other words, over the last few years, we haven't bought anything, we haven't built anything. And I thought, I need to get something going. I don't want to do it of the flesh, you understand. Uh, I, I always want to seek the Lord. But it's like, I need to do something so people will have an opportunity to stretch their faith and give extra. Good. See, you know how a lot of people don't view that as a positive? They view that as, oh no, here we're taking up another offering. Exactly! Yay! 
Now, if someone sees it wrong, then they're irritated by it because they're money, they're, they love money. And they think someone's trying to take something from them. Never is that the case around here. It's an opportunity to believe and, and, and hear from God and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You want me to do something? Whatever you say, I'll do it. And we follow him and we believe and we stretch and the provision of God comes into our house on another, on another level. That's why I say it, God and the prophet, they were doing this woman a favor by coming to her and saying, you do something for me. Sometimes we think, I need the Lord to bless me. And I, by the way, I do need the Lord to bless me. And you need the Lord to bless you. But you know the scriptures are full of, of opposite language that says we should bless the Lord. Remember the 103rd Psalm, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. What do you mean we get to bless the Lord? Does the Lord need blessed by us? Well, I don't know if he needs it. But I know there's a need in me to give it. It's necessary for me to bless him. Hallelujah. So we're always thinking, Lord, bring your blessings. And don't get me wrong. I want them. I want them for me. I want them for you. I want them for this house. But we also need to recognize there needs to be some blessing happening. I bless the Lord or I bless other people. Praise God. And so the, Elijah said to this woman, uh, do this for me first. I mean, no, first takes faith. Last doesn't take faith. First, make me a cake first. And, you know, then it's all gone. Make me a cake last is you and your son eat. Then if you have anything left, bring that to me. That doesn't take faith. And in her situation, it was potentially life ending if God wasn't real. I like to push things to the limit. God is real. One of the things that excites me about the new project we're doing is I can't do it. I can't. I don't personally have the means. I can't write that check. So why does that excite you? Because either God's going to do it or he's not. And I believe he is. Obviously, we believe together. And, uh, and we believe it's the will of but. It's like this is a God thing. I like to see God move. I like to come out the other side with a testimony. So, so again, as awkward as this sounds, and you know, if, if, if you work for the news media, you might want to make a story of this. <laughs> as awkward as this sounds, poor people need to give. I don't mean they shouldn't also receive. But biblically, if they want to break out of that, we've seen in our culture what happens when uh, when someone is encouraged, you're poor, you don't do anything, we'll just take care of you, is what happens is they stay in that position. They may get a temporary need met, but they remain poor. That's what's wrong with our culture and our government system and the welfare system. How many know if you're on welfare, you're not faring well? Right? I'm not saying you should cut it off, but I'm saying there should be a way where you believe God out of it. Get out of that system to where... So God becomes your source. Amen. Let me, let me go further. I, I want to read verse 5 here in, in 2 Corinthians 8. And not only as we, <clears throat> excuse me, as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. 
I want you to notice the priority system, the, the, uh, the, the, what they gave to the Lord before their offering. He said they first gave themselves. This is key to the Lord. Again, I go back to this. The Lord is never impressed with any of our stuff. He's not. But, but Jesus was at times impressed with people's faith. At, the Lord is impressed with people's heart, but not with their stuff independent of it. What these people did so well in Macedonia is they first gave themselves to the Lord. When someone gives their offerings without giving themselves, they miss what God is really wanting to do in their lives, what he really wants out of them. This is most important of all. If there are parts of our lives that are off limits to God, does he really have us? If we put them in a compartment and say, Lord, I love you over here, but don't touch my motorcycle or don't touch my hobby or don't touch my whatever, my time, don't get it. But, but Lord, I'll give you an hour on Sunday. I don't know. I mean, could I really say if that's the way I live that the Lord has me? You know, when, when we pray, when I do a salvation prayer uh, in the services, you, most of you know this language because I repeat it the same way. Uh, I, but I give you all my heart and all my life once and for all to the Lord. Remember that? And I give you all my heart. I don't want to, when I say life, we explain it in the material we give to people. But all your life means <clears throat> it's not just about I feel good about the Lord right now. Your heart is the center of your being. It's the core of your existence. It's where everything comes from. You give your heart. That really should mean something. But if I were to elaborate, I would say, you know, repeat it after me. Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my body and I give you my mind and I give you my money and I give you my car and my golf clubs and my family and my home and my job and my schedule and my, I give you, in other words, if we're really given ourselves to him, he has access to everything. That's a life dedicated to God. That's what salvation really is. But sometimes, you know, people, I think when they get baptized, they hold their wallet up. You know, I'm going all in for God. <laughs> Don't want my money to get wet. <laughs> in other words, when I see scripture, I see there is a, a theme that runs through it of people taking what, what might be not necessarily special and they devote it to the Lord and it takes on a greater significance. It all of a sudden has eternal value to it. The Lord receives it. The God who is all in all, knows everything, has everything, he's all powerful and he receives gifts from us. All right, it's like, it's like I've had this happen various times, many times over the years. After a church service, a, a young child will come up to me and bring me a sheet of paper with my picture on it. You know, they drew with crayons. It's, here's you. Is that valuable? But not in the same way that other things are valuable. It's valuable in a different way. Right? How, how, I think that's some of our gifts to God. Yeah. Yeah. We're thinking, this is amazing. 
This offering to the Lord, he's going to love this. Well, yes, but not in the way you think. I mean, his streets are paved with gold. He creates the universe. And our offerings are going to go make him go, oh, that's just what I needed. <laughs> no, he's going to take it and go and see our heart. And see our, our love in that. We gave something up and we gave it to him. And he's saying, I like this. I'm going to keep this and hold on to it for a while. This is, I'm going to put this on my wall. What's that? Your offering. Hallelujah. You know, in Leviticus, he calls the tithe holy. That's, that's interesting. So you got 100%, but he says the first 10%, I, that, that's holy to me. That always says to me, if he calls that holy, I shouldn't use holy to buy unholy. I should keep holy, holy. I should use holy for, for things that he wants. Not use holy on unholy, because then I just took what is holy, and it's like casting it before dogs. I took holy and made it common. See, I took something that the Lord thought was special, precious. He wanted it to be with me, and I did the wrong thing with it. That's something I, I, I want to avoid. It, it, it's common for people in our day to take sometimes buildings and other things and dedicate them to the Lord, right? We uh, Often churches do that, build a new structure, and they say, we're dedicating this for the Lord's purpose. People dedicate various facilities for a certain cause and purpose. We dedicate our children to the Lord, all right? Are they like every other child? Well, they were. Maybe they were like every other kid that was just born recently, but then we took ours and we said, Lord, I dedicate this child to you. Your, your will, your purpose, your plan, may it be done in their life. Your, I dedicate this child to you. I'm telling you, that child is different now. I know they still need to get saved. We're not talking about salvation. But it's like something devoted to the Lord takes on greater significance. And if we could learn how to do this with various things in our lives as the Spirit leads us, uh, we'll, our lives become more significant. Think about when, de when, when we devote ourselves um, to each other, all right? One, one of the greatest examples of this uh, has to do with, uh, is, is seen in marriage, all right? How many know the marriage relationship, when a, a husband and wife devote to each other in marriage, now that relationship takes on greater significance. Now they share a name, right? Now they have shared assets. Now there's other things that are intimate to only them. Now there is a sexual relationship. It's just that relationship was something, and then it became something more when there was that devotion, right? An exclusive devotion. I say in, in the same way, when we find out and we are led of the Lord, but we take things and we devote them to the Lord, they become holy. They become special. They, they take on a greater significance. And... And that devoting something where, think about a seed, all right? If you have a seed to, to plant, you know, tomatoes or peppers or corn or something in your garden, you might really value that seed and say, this is a precious seed. I love this seed. 
I want to keep this seed. You might even put it in a little frame and put it up on your mantle and say, my seed, I love my seed. But how many know that seed is not going to do what it was created to do until you get rid of it? Meaning you commit it to the ground. You put it in the dirt. You cover it up and it's like, oh, my seed, I love my seed. I know, but your seed is about to become something more. But until it is devoted to its purpose, it can't become more. And too many times we are holding on to certain things and saying, this is special to me. This is precious to me. Yeah, does the Lord want you to devote it to him? Now what can it be? What's the potential of that thing? What's the potential of a person's life who is like the Macedonians who first gave themselves to the Lord and to us then to us by the will of God then they gave their offering. I think that's powerful. And so I want to teach you a little bit further along these lines in the, in the coming weeks uh, about, about, about how to dedicate. And we want to take. And if you're, given, if you're given an offering, fine, do that. But before that, do what these guys did. Before the, you give the offering, first give yourself. Come on. Draw a picture of God and give it to him. Give of yourself, give of your heart. And then what we do for him takes on a holy significance. Amen. Father, thank you today for helping us, for showing us the way. Thanks for joining us for the message today. I trust it has been a blessing and a help to your life. You know, the most important thing we could ever do is to receive salvation, to receive eternal life. You know, Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price and it's available to every single one of us. Would you like to pray today? Say it from your heart, say it out loud. Dear God in heaven, I believe in you. I repent of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. He suffered in my place. He died so I could live. He was raised from the dead and he's alive today. I receive him now as my savior. I confess Jesus is Lord. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer with me today, congratulations, you're in, you're saved, you're right with God. I would love to hear from you so we can send you some additional material to help you in your walk and relationship with God. Please text the word SAVED to 208 314 2660. Also, I'd like to invite you to join us for a live service this coming Sunday, and you are more than welcome to be here. Visit our website at lcboise.com for all of the current service times. Thanks again for joining us today. God bless you.